Due to COVID-19, this podcast has been recorded remotely. We therefore apologise in advance for any issues in relation to sound quality. However, we hope you find the episode useful and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. In this series, I'll be talking to business leaders from across the world of work who will be sharing their expertise to help you effectively lead your business, both now and in the future. The global COVID-19 pandemic is set to change how and where we will operate in the next year of work, potentially for good. And as restrictions are gradually starting to be relaxed in several countries, business leaders who haven't already are now planning how they can safely enable their employees to return to the workplace, whilst helping to manage any anxieties they may have, and ultimately maintain their well-being in the next year of work. So today we're joined by Emma Mamo, Head of Workplace Wellbeing at the UK mental health charity Mind, who's here to share her advice on how leaders can effectively transition their employees back into the workplace in a mentally healthy way. Emma, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Please could you introduce yourself, explaining a little bit about your role? I'm the Head of Workplace Wellbeing at Mind, so I oversee all of our programs that work with employers and other partners around mental health in the workplace. So how can employers keep their people well? How can they identify what might be driving poor mental health amongst their staff? And then how to support staff who are struggling with their mental health? At Mind, currently I've been leading our COVID-19 response in terms of the impact it's having on UK workplaces and how employers can support their staff during this time. Thank you. And before we dive in, please could you define what we mean by the term mental health? Well, we all have mental health the same as we have physical health. It exists on a spectrum and we move up and down it from good to poor for any number of reasons. When we talk about good mental health, this is around generally being able to think, feel and react in the ways that you need and want to live your life. The World Health Organization also defines it as a state of well-being in which you can realize your own potential, you can cope with the normal stresses of life, you can work productively and you can contribute to your community. Um, I think traditionally mental health hasn't necessarily been seen as a neutral term or a neutral state. It's been automatically connected with mental health problems and obviously a lot of work mine's been doing is to make us all realize that we have mental health and we need to do things to take care of it we do know that one in four of us will experience a mental health problem in any given year and that can range from common problems such as depression and anxiety to more rarer problems like schizophrenia and, and bipolar disorder and so on but i think for me it's, it is about that spectrum the fact that you could be experiencing poor mental health linked to you know a life event so uh, bereavement or a relationship breakdown you might be dealing with workplace pressures or as i said you might have a diagnosed mental health condition that you that you need to um to manage so it covers a whole range of experiences really and of course, this has been a demanding time for many leaders as they work to help their businesses quickly adapt to the new and constantly changing environment. Uh, many are working long hours with uh, expanded remits and quickly changing objectives. Are there any signs leaders should look out for which might indicate that their own mental health might have suffered as a result? In terms of some of the potential indicators of poor mental health that you can look out for in terms of yourself, but also other people, it's around changes in people's behavioural mood or how they interact with the people around them, their colleagues or people in their household. 
Um, it might be changes in their own motivation levels and focus. Someone might be struggling to make decisions or get organized or find solutions to problems. I know if I'm feeling under a lot of pressure, I can really struggle to decide what the priorities are. I can sometimes take on more work, which is very unhelpful at that time and so on. So I can definitely experience a bit of a fuzzy head with that. Other signs might be around feeling tired or anxious or withdrawing or potentially losing interest in the things that you previously enjoyed, things that you, hobbies or interests that you, you would normally want to partake in. It can also be changes in your eating habits or your appetite, either increased appetite or loss of appetite. If you are drinking more than you would usually or smoking more than you would usually. And also if your sleep has been impacted. So these are some of the things that you can look out for in terms of yourself, but also in others. Obviously looking out for others when working in a digital way might be more, in a remote way, might be more difficult. Now, if any of our listeners recognise any of the signs you've just mentioned, uh, what would you recommend they do to better prioritise maintaining their good mental health, both during this current crisis and also in the long term? First and foremost, I think it's around establishing a routine and boundaries for the working day as much as possible. And then thinking through that routine, how you can build into that. I've heard it referred to as taking care of your shed. So sleep, hydration, exercise and diet. So really thinking through how you stay physically well to really help your mental health. We know that some of the things that keep people well is a, a protective factor is around social connection. So making sure you're scheduling catch ups with colleagues, families and friends and doing stuff that keeps you well and nurtures you. So getting as much sunlight, air and nature as you can. Obviously we've had restrictions on that, but these are now lifting. Find ways to relax and be creative and kind of tap into that other side of your brain. I would say take care with news and information. There's a lot coming at us at the moment. So just being mindful of the impact that it has around that. And then for me, in terms of managing my job and my mental health while performing my job, a tool that we really advocate is a wellness action plan. It's based on a tool that someone would develop with their health professional on managing their mental health condition, but we've adapted it for the workplace. And it, it's a simple framework for helping you identify what keeps you well at work. So what are those healthy working habits you need to have in place? What are some things that might cause you to struggle and impact on your mental health? And then what are some early warning signs for your manager to look out for or indeed colleagues? And then what are some helpful steps for you to take and for your manager to take if your mental health is being impacted? So for me, it's just a really great tool for having a conversation with your manager so they know how best to support you. And you also think through what you need to do to take care of your mental health. Understandably, many employees may be feeling concerned about the prospect of returning to the workplace. In fact, according to our recent survey, 74% of respondents have reservations around this, with the main reasons being the risk of potential infection, their commute, uh, and the disruption to their work-life balance patterns. What impact do you think these concerns are having on employees' mental health as they contemplate returning to the workplace after months of working from home? I think it will be having a significant impact. I think it may be affecting people in different ways. And I think it's important for leaders to be mindful of that. We've all been in the same storm, but we've not been in the same boat. And you really need to understand people's individual circumstances. In the broadest terms, this is not a simple reversal. When we went into lockdown, none of us really knew the scale of what the, you know, the impact of the of the outbreak, you know, the significant loss of life. Um, so now coming out of lockdown, 
accountability for people's personal safety is now shifting from government to employers, to your colleagues, to people around you. So your health anxiety and concerns you might have, as you say, around, you know, transmission, you know, the infection and so on is now around how other people are acting and the choices that they're making. So that is a real concern for people, I'm sure. The other point is around isolation. So when we've been living through this social distancing, some people may have gone through an anti-socialization and, and, and may not do may not want to be around people for those concerns that they have. Other people are very keen for social connection. So again, there is real, the public is really polarized on easing out of lockdown and whether it's the right choice at this time. Another big concern is around the ongoing uncertainty. So the need to plan for potential returns to lockdown if needed. So that's some of the broad themes. I think around people who've been working from home, as you said, around work-life balance patterns, a lot of people have enjoyed a higher level of autonomy during this time and, and less commute, more time to spend with their family, do things that matter to them and so on. So I think managing people's concerns around that and offering flexibility around ways of working would be helpful. Equally, people working from home have probably been working at quite a high pace and, and quite intense ways. So really being mindful around the risk of burnout and fatigue and supporting people with that. I think for people who've been furloughed, they've been in a bit of a holding pattern. And now this is a real transition point And it's the what happens next? You know, is my job safe? Is the organisation safe? So being very mindful of people coming through that transition point and how you can support them and how you can reintegrate them into a workplace, especially if they've been furloughed for quite some time. So how to help them do a phased return to work, perhaps um, thinking about establishing a routine again. And also if they've been at the 80% mark and you know, their employer hasn't been able to top up in terms of their salary, they may be dealing with some quite significant financial issues. So supporting people with that. So those are some specific things to be mindful of for those different groups. And what are the signs that leaders should look out for both now and in the future, which could indicate that a member of their team is struggling with their mental health or perhaps is feeling particularly worried or anxious about returning to the workplace? And can these be more difficult to spot when working remotely? Absolutely. I mean, it's similar to what I said around the signs you can look out for in, in yourself, the changes in someone's behaviour or mood, how they interact with others, changes in their motivation levels and focus um, if they're struggling to make decisions or find solutions uh, if they're appearing tired, anxious. But I think, as you say, that is more difficult to spot if, if, if people are working remotely. I have been recommending to employers and managers that they have regular check-ins with their team members daily, whatever frequency works best. But I think it's important during this time to be having these routine conversations. How are you doing? And is there anything I can do to support you? So trying to open up the conversation and make it a regular part of your interaction with someone will help. In terms of the return to work process, employers and managers should be proactive in having conversations with people about return to work, both in terms of enabling people to inform the organization's broader planning, but also having that conversation with them around their individual circumstances. What is their commute to work? Who is in their household? Is anyone in at higher risk of the infection and, and the impact that, that can have on them? So having those individual conversations would be helpful. And how can leaders facilitate supportive discussions and help their employees open up about their concerns or worries? Do you have any tips on how to do this, particularly when managing remote or hybrid teams? 
I suppose it builds on what I just said around creating the space for people to raise concerns. So at an organizational and team level, thinking about the mechanisms that people have available to them to inform the organizational planning around this and giving people a voice in this is really key. And then, as I said, at an individual level, exploring all the aspects of the return to work for that person. In terms of how you encourage people to be open, I think it's about probably leaders being open and honest and authentic and maybe a bit vulnerable and saying, you know, this is a challenging time for all of us. We need to be making the best decisions we can with the information that we have now. We want your input on that. We will be regularly reviewing what's working and these are the mechanisms that will be available to you to share how things are working for you. So I think it's about just setting your stall out and just saying this is a difficult time. There's a lot of unknowns. This is what we're putting in place initially, but we need you to feed into that. And then as we go forward, we'll we'll be getting your input as we go. So I think that can help allay people's fears. So just really thinking about the framework that people can feed into and then the two-way dialogue as you go into that transition period. So as well as initiating uh, these types of conversations, are there any other proactive steps you'd recommend leaders take to help ease the transition of employees back to the workplace, whilst, of course, prioritising their well-being and mental health? Surely every individual is experiencing this crisis differently. Thus, this demands a different approach from leaders. Would you agree? I would agree. Um, In terms of what I've been doing to lead my team remotely, and then what I've been advising other employers to do, it's about guiding principles. There are so many unknowns, there are so many nuances, everybody's experience, as you say, has been different. So there's no roadmap to any of this. And I think then you need to then lean on guiding principles. So my one has absolutely been around staff well-being. That needs to be a priority and you need to understand people's individual circumstances so you know how best to support them. The next point is around offering people clarity, so about the current organisational and team priorities as well as their own individual ones. Clarity around processes and systems. One of the main concerns I've had about people working from home is the risk of always on and, you know, work bleeding into their home life, system overload, you know, having, you know, people and information coming at you from different platform systems and and that kind of pressure cooker that that can create. So trying to simplify things as much as possible, one-stop shops, consolidation, all of that I think is really key and and good information being shared. Mind has been doing a lot around internal communication during this time, but also doing frequently asked questions, documents to support any changes that we're implementing to kind of help people understand what's happening. So I think really focusing on offering people as much clarity and as soon as you have it at that organisational level, communicating that down. The next point for me has been around community. So how can we build that sense of togetherness while we're working in a remote way? And indeed, as we move forward into a bit of a hybrid way. So just making sure we're not losing the social side of work and the natural support people would get from their manager or their colleagues if we were all in the same place and and that and that sense of fun there's definitely time needed to invest in that and we've been doing it within my team around um, art competitions um, quizzes there's a virtual pub trip on a Friday alcohol not always necessary but fancy dress and and bring your pets sometimes is um, so thinking about how you can still have that more social side of work while working in this way and then the final point for me has been around 
being reflective. We've all had to spring into action and mobilise quickly. But now it's about pausing what's working, what isn't, what do we need to change and being reflective and seeking feedback is really important. But I think to support people with this transition is trying to give them as much control as possible and as much information as possible to help them. Thanks, Emma. Uh, Some leaders will unfortunately have to face the difficult decision to make headcount reductions. Do you have any advice you can share on how this process can be undergone compassionately, limiting wherever possible any negative impact on mental health of those affected? Many employers will be facing this. Redundancy should be a last resort. Organisations that are more successful in protecting jobs and supporting their employees will be more resilient and best able to recover once we transition out of this time. But I know for many organisations, perhaps it isn't a choice, it has to happen. In terms of how to kind of support people's well-being during this time, again, it links to my previous point about communication and being as transparent as possible, outlining the key steps and deadlines and providing a frequently asked questions document to support people. I think many organisations that have weathered this storm well have really focused on their internal communications and I think continuing that would be helpful. Then it's about providing support to people affected during the process. So what support is available internally, external support, you know, do you subscribe to an employee assistance programme, occupational health and so on. So supporting people's well-being during this difficult time will be important and making sure your managers are supported during this time, especially if they're having to lead these processes and, and, and have difficult conversations with people. So just making sure there's a support mechanism in place for them. Once redundancies have been confirmed, supporting the people who are affected with their next step, so CV writing, recruitment workshops, any support around financial issues and so on, and just helping people as much as possible during that time would be helpful. And then the final piece, I think, is thinking through the people who who are not being made redundant and are staying within the workplace and how you can then acknowledge what's happened, the uncertainty that people have had to face during this time, but then start looking to the future and getting people's input on what happens next in terms of the organisational strategy, um, differences that can be um, implemented, you know, different ways of working that can be implemented and so on. In the future, it's likely that hybrid teams, when part of the team works in the office part of the time and the other part of the team works from home part of the time, will likely become more common in this next era of work. How will this impact the focus of and the way in which mental health and wellbeing programmes are delivered by employers? Employers will need to offer a range of um, mental health and wellbeing programmes and make sure they can be accessed digitally and face-to-face. At Mind, a lot of our uh, workplace wellbeing initiatives that we offer our staff, such as reflective practice sessions, subsidised yoga and Pilates classes, we've temporarily moved them online during lockdown to help ease the transition and reassure colleagues that they'll be supported during this time. So I guess going forward, we're going to need to then make sure that things can be accessed in a, in a range of ways. But one thing we have been thinking through is being more digital first and thinking about what we offer as a, and, and equally how we kind of collaborate. So for Mind, we're definitely saying that some people might be in the office, some people might be working from home, but if you need to collaborate, then actually using a digital platform for that would be helpful. So I think this is just part and parcel of how you need to think through the ways of working in terms of work management, delegation, information, as well as then the well-being and mental health um, initiatives and programmes that you have in place. 
Thank you very much for all of your insights, Emma. Really greatly appreciated. Um, we would like to end this podcast with a question that we ask all of our guests. What do you think are the three qualities that make a good leader? And crucially, do you think these qualities have changed as a result of the pandemic? For me, um, the qualities that I think make a good leader, first and foremost, is about listen more than you talk. And I think absolutely this is more important than ever. As I said, we had to spring into action, but I think employers and managers need to be in listening mode and hearing from their people around what's working, what isn't. So definitely, I think this one still holds up during this time. My second quality is making sure you respond rather than react. And again, I think this is even more important than ever because we are in a pressurised environment at the moment. As you said at the beginning, leaders have been having to carry a lot, adapt quickly, support their teams to adapt quickly and taking care of your mental health and making sure that you're in a good place. So you are managing those pressures, but responding rather than reacting is really important. And the final point that I shared in my previous podcast review was around focusing on clarities in terms of vision processes and systems and ways of working, which obviously I've spoken about today. So again, I think that those three qualities absolutely are key in the best of times and in difficult, challenging times that we find our, ourselves in now. Thanks, Emma. These have been great insights and uh, thank you again for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hayes Worldwide Leadership Insights Podcast. If you found this advice useful, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. At the same time, if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to reach out to us via email at socialmedia at haze.com.